0: 22, 63 through 23, 25. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. But he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people and after examining him before you behold I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him neither did Herod for he sent him back to us look nothing deserving death has been done by him I will therefore punish and release him but they all cried out together away with this man and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Hey
1: everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Uh, Welcome those of you at our East service, uh, here in the West service, and then those of you tuning in online. Listen, those of you who are tuning in online, I just want to tell you we've been praying for you and we miss you. It's not the same without you. And I know it's not the same to worship from home. So I have a couple of suggestions. One is maybe invite someone over for a watch party as you warm up to the idea of coming back. The other is to set a target. Like three weeks from now is Easter. That would be a great time to come back. Five weeks from now is our big baptism service. Maybe that would be a time to come back. I just want you to know that we love you and we miss you. Can't wait for you to be here with us. All right. Well, we are in this uh, series that we are calling Come and See. We're looking at the final 10 scenes of Jesus' life according to the Gospel of Luke. And one of the interesting things is that all 10 of these scenes have to do with his death. And that makes the Gospels stand out. And it's, uh, the Gospels are an account of Jesus' life. And when I read biographies of other religious leaders, they're so much different than the Gospels. I read a biography of Mahatma Gandhi. It was probably 350 pages long. About uh, 30 pages was dedicated to Gandhi's death and his funeral. But when you read the Gospels, there's an inordinate amount of time spent on Jesus' death. And the reason for that is that if you do not understand why Jesus died, you don't understand Jesus at all. Last week, Pastor Zach uh, walked us through the arrest and he was looking at it at Peter in particular. And it was a great sermon. If you missed that sermon, go back, listen to it, watch it. It is a great, great sermon. But when he got to the part of Peter's story where the women on the day that Jesus resurrected, they ran to the tomb And they were met with an angel who said, why are you looking for Jesus here? He is not here, he has risen. And then they say, go tell his disciples and Peter. Don't forget Peter. When Zach said that, tears just squirt out of my eyes because this was just three days. Three days before Peter had denied he even knew Jesus. And here was Jesus sending Peter a message I still want you. I still love you. And that means that no matter what you have done, no matter what kind of life you've no matter what you did last week, I don't care if you went on an all-night bender last night and you have staggered in here this morning. My message to you is this, that Jesus still wants you. Jesus still loves you. And that is just amazing. I read this past week, there's a, I think he's a neuroscientist named Kurt Thompson. And he said this, everyone comes into this world looking for someone looking for them. Everyone comes into this world looking for someone looking for them. And the good news that I have for you today is that you have someone who is looking for you. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. All right? That was last week. This week, uh, we are looking at the trial of Jesus. Actually, Jesus goes through six trials, three religious trials and three civil trials. Evidently, it is difficult to convict the Son of God, right? So the reason that there are three civil trials and three religious trials is that the religious leaders didn't have the power to execute Jesus. They needed the power of Rome. They needed Pilate to execute Jesus. So when I say trial, I don't mean a trial maybe the way you think about a trial. I think more of a a kangaroo court. And so uh, we're gonna look at these that some of what we just read or had read to us. And here are my three points. I wanna look at uh, why Pilate dismisses Jesus, why the religious leaders hate Jesus and why Barabbas understands Jesus, all right? Why Pilate dismisses Jesus, why the religious leaders hate Jesus, and why Barabbas gets Jesus. All right, first, why Pilate dismisses Jesus. So the religious leaders, they uh, bring Jesus to Pilate and they know they have to make a compelling case for uh, them to get Pilate to execute Jesus. So they tell Pilate, he is trying to lead people away from Caesar. He is, he has declared himself a king of swords. So he is a rival to Caesar. And of course, Pilate needs to take that seriously. Part of his job is protecting Caesar. And he has dealt with revolutions before. So he brings Jesus in to interrogate him. And he asks him a question. And his question is this, are you the king of the Jews? (laughs) <laughs> now, I watch a lot of detective shows, and that just seems like a rookie question to me. That's just not the way you interrogate somebody. Usually you start, you know, way back, where were you a week ago Thursday? You know, who were you talking to? And, you, it, and interrogation is a little bit like playing chess until you get a person in the corner. Pilate just jumps over everything, and he just says, hey, I got a question. Are you the king of the Jews? Now, if you were Jesus, how would you respond? You could say, "No." release me. Right? Or he could go the whole other, you know, side and say, oh, buddy, you don't know the half of it. I am king of kings, Lord of lords, you will, I will not only be your king, you will worship me. Instead, Jesus says, you say so. You say so. And when you read the text, the thing that struck me is that Pilate makes an immediate kind of Um, evaluation of Jesus, like he he looks him up and down and then he goes, okay, nope, not a threat. This guy's not a threat. And when he says that, the the religious leaders, they just they realize that their opportunity might be slipping away, so they double down. I don't know if you've ever made a presentation to your boss's boss, and you know you only have a certain amount of time to convince them before they just dismiss you. And so they double down. And when they double down, they say something about Jesus coming from Galilee. And when they say that, like a light bulb goes off in Pilate's head, and he he thinks to himself, oh, well, Herod is the governor of Galilee, and he's in town, so I'll send Jesus over to him and let him ask him some questions. And so they bundle up Jesus and they send him across town. Now, all these trials are happening between probably midnight and nine o'clock in the morning. So this is probably very early in the morning. They wake up Herod, and he begins the second of the civil trials, the kangaroo court that Herod has. And Herod tries to ask Jesus a bunch of questions. Jesus doesn't respond, and then Herod does something really interesting. He takes Jesus and he turns him over to his soldiers so that they can have some fun. And the soldiers take Jesus and they, they play dress up with Jesus. They put a, a robe on him that's this kind of royal robe, and they make a, a crown of thorns for him. And then they, they bow down and they just go, oh, look at the king. And then they slap him. They show him utter contempt. My question is why? Why would they have such contempt for Jesus? And the answer is that Pilate only understood, Pilate and Herod only understood power in a certain way. They only understood that power worked from the outside in, that when you wanted to do something, to get something done, to have other people knuckle under, you did it with, with absolute force and power from the outside in. And so when they looked at Jesus, when Pilate looked at Jesus, he says, wait, king of the Jews, he has no army? There's no fight in his his friends or his supporters. He's got nothing. He's got no power at all. Here's something interesting. Uh, Napoleon, at the end of his life, you know, Napoleon uh, died in exile. And I don't know where he stood with Jesus when he died, but this is his famous quote. He said, uh, I built a kingdom on force and it has melted away. Jesus Christ built a kingdom on love, and it still stands, and it will stand. There was something Napoleon finally understood about power, that there's two types of power. There's a power that goes from the outside in, but there's also another power that moves from the inside out. And here are two dangers that I think that we have with Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not yet a Christian. These are two dangers people have when they look at Jesus. One, is that we as followers of Jesus sometimes we want to impact the world and use tools that Jesus did not use. We want to impact the world. We think this is the way people ought to be. This is the way the world ought to be. So I will use force and I'll coerce them from the outside in. And of course the most egregious example of that are the crusades. You know, and people don't who don't know much about Christianity at all know about the crusades that there were people that went into battle with shields, with a cross, I mean, they went in the name of Jesus to accomplish what they think Jesus wanted them to accomplish, but they did it in a way that Jesus would never do it. And today, the way somebody does a crusade is the tool of choice is the computer. Right? People get on the computer, and then they go, I want to do something that, that will change the way somebody is or the way somebody thinks or the way people are, and so I'm going to send out this mass email. or I'm going to get on social media, and I'm going to attack in this way. I want you to know that's not the way Jesus ever used power. Pilate looked at Jesus, and that's the kind of power he expected to see, and instead he saw somebody who was willing to die but not willing to kill And that's the way Jesus was going to change people from the inside out. The second big danger that we have is to try to get Jesus to use his power in our lives. You you have a tendency to want to have Jesus use his power in your life the way you would use power in your life if you had it. And what I mean is this. When I spend time in prayer, so many times I am asking Jesus to do outside of me, to change my circumstances in such a way that I would do if I had his power. You know, I, I would pray that he would change the way people treat me. I pray that he would change my circumstances in different things. But so many times I think Jesus is more interested in what, how he's going to change me from the inside out. And this is what happened just last week. You know, we introduced a tool uh, with our reimagined vision And the tool is the Square Triangle Triangle Square, and it's out on the Everyone Hallway. Uh, And I know that some of you uh, don't really understand it, don't really uh, like it. I love it, and uh, this is the way uh, I use it. Last week, I was uh, having my time with God, and I was writing my journal. And uh, the Square, in the Square Triangle Triangle Square, the Square stands for what you want the world to be like, what the world ought to be like. Then the first triangle is the way the world is, and then the second triangle is Jesus. So in my journal, I was, you know, praying, and then I just wrote down square, triangle, triangle, square. And I said to Jesus, you know, I, I long for a world that is at peace, where people don't attack other people, where there's a world that is free of pain and free of hate and all of that. But this is the world I live in. I live in a world that is broken and where people attack and there's pain and, there, and I have pain, right? And then instead of praying that Jesus would change the people around me, what, Je- what I felt like Jesus did was he said, okay, Joe, bring it to me. As the second triangle. Then it was like Jesus opened up his arm and he said, Joe, just come in here. Come in here. And I'm going to hold you in my love until I recreate the world to be what you want it to be, where the whole world is at peace and the whole world is love. But until that time, I want you just to experience my love and my care. Right? There's A psalmist talks about God as someone who opens up his wing and we, we find shelter in the shadow of his wings. That's what I experienced last week. All right. So Pilate misses Jesus because he doesn't understand power in any other way than from the outside in. Do not miss Jesus because of that. All right. But there are other people that, all, that saw that Jesus was a threat. And that brings to me to my second group, which is why the religious leaders hate Jesus. Now, the religious leaders hate Jesus, and it's easy to see they're were, they were going to destroy him at all costs. That's all they want to do. I don't know if you have ever been hated. It's pretty unsettling. I don't think I have ever experienced somebody hating me until the last about three years. And what happens with Jesus is they want to destroy him, right? So this is, but the question is, you know, why? What is there about Jesus that would make you hate him? There is something true about every human being. It's true about you, it's true about me. Human beings have an irresistible urge to compare themselves to other human beings. We can't help it. We do it all the time. I don't know if that's true with other animals. I don't know if, like, if in the sparrow world, if there are classically beautiful sparrows and homely sparrows. You know, I don't know if there are super athletic sparrows and then nerdy sparrows. I, I, I kind of doubt it. Right? But with human beings, we just cannot help but compare ourselves to each other. I was in the grocery store not too long ago, in the express line, where it says, it's, it's a sign that says 10 items or less. Right? The person in front of me had at least 25 items. And I looked at it and I thought, man, at the very least, I'm better at math than they are. Right? Because I want to compare, you know, I was striving to work last week, and uh, I'm on Terex Road, right, which is right out here, and the speed limit on Terex Road is 45 miles an hour. The person in front of me was going 35 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour beneath the speed limit, and it's almost impossible for me just to make an observation that I, I couldn't just go, huh, this is a very cautious driver. Instead, I'm going, what is wrong with them? Why can't they drive like I drive? You know, And then the guy behind me gets really impatient, and he passes both of us, going like 70. And there's a very short amount of space where you can pass, right? And I watched him go by, and I was like, what a day. I have got to be the best driver in all of Hudson <laughs> right now. Why? Why do we compare ourselves all the time? Why can't we help but compare ourselves? And the answer is, we all have this deep, deep need to feel like we're okay. We have this deep desire to to do what the, to be what the, what the Bible calls righteous. The religious leaders, if they knew anything at all, they knew they were better than most people. I mean, they knew it. They said, if that... Sounds familiar if you are here or if you are watching and you are not yet a Christian and you have started to become convinced that there might be a heaven and there might be a hell. And I would ask you, why would God let you into heaven? I have heard it over and over and over again. It's the only good answer other than Jesus. And it's this, uh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than most people. And the religious leaders of that time, they knew. It, w- it was a fact. Like They look at the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and they say, I'm obviously better than she is. I've never committed adultery. They look at at Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and they say, I'm obviously better than Zacchaeus. I've never robbed anybody. Obviously, I'm one of the good ones. And then Jesus comes along and he says, oh, oh no. The kingdom of God is not made up of good people with bad people on the outside. The kingdom of God is made up of bad people who know they're bad enough where they need a savior. And that just made the religious leaders go crazy because their entire identity was built on being better, on being one of the good ones, and other people being the bad ones. And then Jesus comes and he says, oh, no, you got it all wrong. You are not good, you just think you are good. And if you've ever had somebody tell you that, it's a hard thing to hear, But that's what Jesus was saying. And they just said, I can't believe that. Their whole identity was built on being a better person, than the people who kneel during the national anthem or who storm the Capitol or who march in the LGBTQ parade. Do you feel that? See, we all have a tendency to go, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm good and they're bad. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, no. You need to quit comparing yourself to other people. Quit comparing yourself to people who sin in a way that you never sin." And what Jesus says, basically, is this. If you have to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to me. (laughs) Jesus is like the guy who goes up to the bully and says, you want to pick on somebody? Pick on somebody your own size. And so he says, you want to compare? Compare to me and see if you come out feeling good about yourself. And the religious leaders just said, we will have none of that. And so they needed to get rid of Jesus. And so that's why they brought him to Pilate. So Pilate misses Jesus because he doesn't understand power, or he only understands power in a certain way. The religious leaders miss Jesus because of their pride and their paradigm that they were one of the good ones and other people are the bad ones. But there's one other person in this story, and that's Barabbas. And that brings me to my final point, which is why Barabbas understands Jesus. So Barabbas is this criminal that's mentioned, and he has been found guilty of murder and insurrection, and he is on death row. Now, one of the things probably that was difficult in the Roman justice system is that people on death row never knew when they were going to be executed. Like it just would happen. They knew it was going to happen sometime, but then it would just, boom, happen. So, Barabbas, I want you to imagine, Barabbas is in his cell. He knows he's been condemned to die. And then uh, he hears boots coming down to his cell. And his cell door opens up, and the Roman soldiers hoist him to his feet and begin to walk him out. And he knows this is it I am dead man walking. And he walks out into the bright morning light, and he sees a mob, and he expected the mob. And he sees Pilate, and he expects Pilate. But then he sees Jesus, and he doesn't expect Jesus. Now, one of the things about the gospel story is that there are all these side stories that are put in. And they're all put in for a reason. And this is one of the most fascinating side stories to me. Because what happens here, and you heard it read, is that Pilate decides to, like, have a vote. You know, it's like American Idol. Who are you going to vote off, right? Jesus or who? When does that ever happen? When does a judge ever bring two people out and say, you guys decide which one is going to die and which one is going to live? But that's what Pilate does. And you heard it read that the crowd said, We want Barabbas to live. We want Jesus to die. Now, the reason that I say that Barabbas understands Jesus is that is this. I I don't know where Barabbas went that morning. I don't know if he went to his favorite bar or went to the guys that he would hang with or if he went to his mom. But I would guess wherever he went, people said the same thing to him. People would say, wait. Weren't you condemned? Weren't you on death row? And, and I heard that somebody's being crucified today. I thought that was you. Why are you not dying on the cross right now? And every time someone asked that, that day, Barabbas had to point and say, because he is. And he would point to Golgotha and say, I am not condemned because he was condemned. I am not on the cross because he is on the cross. Barabbas was the very first person to live only because Jesus was dying. And that's the story of Jesus. So Jesus comes. Pilate misses him because he only understands power in one way. And he thinks if if he's not going to show power like that, then he's not worth my time. The religious leaders miss Jesus because they think, no, no, goodness is based on what I do, not on what he does. But then Barabbas, Barabbas understands Jesus because he's got no choice. The only way Barabbas was free, the only way he was not condemned, the only way he was alive, was because Jesus was condemned in his place. So here's the question. Which one do you relate to? Which one do you see and say, that's who I am"? Do you see yourself as Pilate who says, well, if there is a God, then he's got to act the way I want him to act. He's got to do what I want him to do. Are you going to react like the religious leaders who say, you know what? I don't want to give up the idea that I'm one of the good guys and I get to look down on people who are bad people. Or do you see Barabbas and say, that's me. My only shot is if Jesus stands in for me, if Jesus is condemned, so that I can live. This Kurt Thompson said that every one of us, we come into the world looking for someone, looking for us, every one of us. And the good news is that you have someone not just looking for you, whose name is Jesus. You have someone who is willing to be in your place. And then to begin to express his power through you from the inside out so you will never be the same. That's the power of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you. and uh, Man, I'm so, so grateful. I'm grateful for every side story in the gospel because it gives such texture, but I'm, I'm grateful for this particular story. I pray that every single one of us who's here will not miss this time where we identify with Barabbas, where we see ourselves going, the only way when I stand before you, before God, the only way that I do not stand condemned is that if I do the same thing Barabbas did, which is point to Jesus and say, I'm not condemned because he was for me. Help us to understand that in such a way that it goes deep down inside of us and begins to change us into the people that we want to be, that you made us to be. And I pray this in your name. Amen.